Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny Esty. Hey, what's up? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 166 of the Travel Like Boss podcast. I am in Lviv, Ukraine with Ryan Murfield. Hey, 166. You've done a lot. A lot of traveling. Holy buckets. And so have you. Yeah. And that's why we're on the show. That's right. (laughs) So you are originally from South Dakota. South Dakota. And what what happened? What made you start traveling? Mm. So... That's a good question. I think when I was in college, I just always thought, man, I need to go somewhere. I came from a family that mostly lived in South Dakota. We would do kind of like the standard trip, Black Hills, maybe Disneyland once every once in a while. But I thought it just always was kind of a dream to go somewhere. Did you grow up in a big city or a small town? A small town, Brookings, about 20,000 people. And so just kind of in a cornfield in, in eastern South Dakota. And I'd always thought, that it would be nice to travel, but it was expensive to get out of the country. So I looked for ways to get out for free or for somebody that would do it for me. Because I would imagine that traveling from South Dakota is even harder mm. than traveling from, let's say, California. Because we can fly from San Francisco or LAX pretty much to you know anywhere in the world, maybe one stop. But for South Dakota, you would first have to fly to one of the coasts before you can even hop on a On an international flight, right? Right. And we're kind of like a hub away from a hub. So we have, we have Sioux Falls that kind of has an airport. Otherwise it's a four or five hour drive to Minneapolis. And from Minneapolis, you still have to go to like Chicago or someplace farther out. So it's, it's not easy. We're a dead center of the country. So someone actually mentioned to me that everyone they meet while traveling that's from the US is from San Francisco or LA, maybe New York. And my theory is that when you're from these three cities and you want to go on vacation, mm. you're like, okay, well, you know, where should I go internationally? While people that live in the middle of the country, when they think about going on vacation, they're like, oh, let's go to California for vacation. Let's go to Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like New York is exotic for us. A lot of my relatives have never been to New York. They'll say things like, ah, I don't think I want to go there. I think it's crazy. You know, like New York is this mystical place or something. So how does... How do your friends and family feel about your life now that, I mean, do you, when, do you ever go back to the small town in South Dakota? Yeah, my, my wife and I, we go back every summer. As we're teachers, we get the summer off, so we go home, check on everybody. They think it's cool. They wish we were around a little bit more, but, you know, they like it. Do, do any of them, or any of them ever envious that you have this life? I don't think so. Especially not, not parents anyway. They, they like being where they're at. Some of them will come see us, but I don't, I don't think so. I actually have that feeling too. There are a lot of people who are very comfortable. Yeah. And they're just like, nah, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I used to judge them in the beginning when I first started traveling, thinking like, oh man, like, you know, you're, you know, you're so close minded. Why don't you want to adventure more? And then all the cliche, cliches like, if you've never traveled, it's like reading the first page of the first page of a book. Mm. But now I think I'm, I kind of understand why some people are like, you know, I'm sure there's you know other great cultures, other things to do, but I enjoy being a homebody. Yeah, and, there's, and there, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually just had the conversation two days ago about my wife was talking about somebody that she knew that didn't like to travel, and we were kind of talking about how that's sometimes that's just people's thing. Like traveling is kind of our thing, but other people have have something different that gets them out of bed in the morning, and so that's what they do. Yeah, and I think that. If it's not like if it's not your thing, it's okay. But I think the only time I judge people is when it is their thing, but then they make their make excuses because they're afraid. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean it'd be it'd be the same for the exact opposite, where if mm-hmm. someone's thing was just, you know, they really wanted to start a family, but right. they're afraid to, so they keep traveling, that's not good either. Mm. You know, but if somebody is 
you know, is content and happy where they are. Yep. That's completely fine. But I think the people are like, oh, I wish I could, mm-hmm. but it's never a good answer. Yeah, you just gotta you just gotta be who you are. Follow your dreams. So you said that you you wanted to travel, you wanted to be able to live abroad. Yeah. In college, and then how did you figure that out? Um. So, like I said, I was looking for somebody to pay for my trip because I didn't have money. So it started with the summer camp. I did a summer camp in New Hampshire, and it was this international summer camp. So half the counselors were from the state, and half were from all over the world. And that was this awesome, eye-opening experience to, oh my gosh, look at all these cool places I can go to. And so I did that for a few years and then started finishing college up, didn't want to get a job. So I had to start looking for my next free ride, you know, if you say it. Um, and I fell, I stumbled upon uh, Peace Corps. I had been applying for a few things and I put in an application for Peace Corps also, which is a really long application process, but that, that kind of panned out. And that landed me in, in Ukraine for 27 months. When you say long application, how long did it take? Uh, I think from the time I first applied to when I arrived in Ukraine, it was nine months. Okay. And what was the process of that? First, you have to fill out about a mountain of paperwork that lets them know everything there is to know about you. And then you have to do a phone interview. Between those, there's a lot of waiting. After the phone interview, there's a lot of waiting. And then they'll, they'll get a hold of you and tell you that you made it to the next level, which means you have to do a bunch more paperwork. And then you have to do another interview. And then towards the end, when they're pretty sure you're going to go, then there's a lot of doctor's visits. The doctor has to check out everything possible. You have to go to an eye doctor. He has to check out everything. And then when you're all done with it, they, they give you an envelope in the mail that says, okay, you're going to go to blank and you're going to do blank. Wow, so it's like a complete gamble. You have no say in yeah. where you want to go. Yeah, and then you can do that or you can do something else, but that's it. So you can say no to it and they'll put you back into the drawing or how does that work? No, you, you can say no and then you can get a different job. Okay. So that's that's it. You can take it or leave it. And if you said no, then would would you have to wait a long time again to get another offer? Yeah, and well, you might not get another offer because they want somebody that's going to be uh, open-minded about, yeah. to new experiences, isn't able, able to go with it, and so I think I think somebody that's picky about where they're going to go for Peace Corps is probably a good sign that they're not they're not the type of person that they want to do that anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. So I actually had I've always heard of the term Peace Corps, but I had no idea what it was until I asked you over coffee just ten minutes before this. Yeah, I actually. For some reason, thought it would had something to do with either, and these are two very extreme opposites, either military or like uh, what, what is it called when, when like churches go to different countries and try like to get people missionary to work, missionary work. Yeah, but is it either of those at all? It's neither. Okay. So I I I said during coffee, and I'll say the Peace Corps has three goals. It's a government program. You always serve for 27 months, so you have three months of job and language training. They teach you the language of wherever you're going to go, and then you serve for two years. And the the big thing of the project is it has three goals. Uh, The first one is to help a developing country with an area of need. The second one is to kind of put a happy face on, on the American culture, spread awareness of American culture, kind of be that guy so when people see something happens in the news with America, they think, oh, yeah, I remember that nice American guy who lived with us for two years. They're they're okay people. And then the the third goal is the the other side of that to come back to your to America after you've lived in your home country and kind of be a spreader of awareness of that culture. That actually makes sense. And I had no idea it was government organization. Mm-hmm. But I guess that does make sense where you guys are almost kind of like the ambassadors of the country. Yeah. I think it's really effective. It's peacekeeping strategy. Um, the idea is, you know, you're going to be less likely to be for all for going to war with somebody if you think, oh, yeah, well, I, I lived in their village or, oh, my friend lived in their village and he had all these great things to say about them. It puts a good personal touch on the foreign country. Yeah, it makes sense. So when you're, when you're sent to this village in Ukraine, do you have, like, what are your responsibilities there? So, that depends on what your job is. Peace Corps has this wide range. I was an English teacher, so I went to the local public school and taught English. But other people help with medical issues. There's agriculture volunteers that help communities become more efficient in agriculture. There's people that 
go to a, an island somewhere and help with the marine biology, maybe coral reef preservation. There's all kinds of, of jobs. It all depends on um, Peace Corps only goes where they've been invited by the foreign a foreign country. The foreign country kind of says, hey, we would like some volunteers that will do this. And, and then they do it. Okay, cool. So you list down your skills yeah. to an assessment and they see if you can be a good fit swimmer or if you can add some value to that country. Right. So I had a teaching certificate and I thought it would be cool to do, you know, whatever. I actually wasn't even that excited about teaching at that time. But they said, hey, you're, you're going to be a teacher. He said, okay. I said, okay, because you can either say okay or you can get lost. So, okay. So then. What happens next? Do they, do they pay for your flight or do they pay for your own flight? They pay for your flight. And then once once you're in the country, you're kind of taken care of. So when I was a volunteer in Ukraine, we got a $200 a month stipend, which which wasn't very much, but it was it's about as much as the average person makes where you live because they don't they don't really want an American coming there and then kind of rolling in and and spending money and, and showing off. You're supposed to kind of live live like, like they do. Live like a local. Or otherwise, it's sort of difficult to integrate. They take care of all your medical stuff. Um, so you get a dentist, doctor checkups. If you have anything that happens, they cover it. If you if you hurt yourself, there were some volunteers that got flown to Thailand because they broke a, or they had like one guy broke his face and had to have some facial reconstruction surgery. Do you know how that happened? I slipped on the ice. Wow. We had a lot of people uh, come to Ukraine. They weren't used to the ice and snow. So there's there's a few months at the beginning of every winter where the new volunteers, like there's always a few that hurts themselves. That smash their face. Yeah, smash their face or whatever. Well, maybe that's the benefit that you're from South Dakota. Yeah, not an issue for me. <laughs> what like, What is it like living in a place either in South Dakota or Ukraine during the winter? <laughs> I don't know. Kind of isolating. It's cold. Our Fargo winters, Fargo, I lived in Fargo too. That was super cold. So was Ukraine. I don't know. You just get, you find something inside that you like to do. Roll with it. Wow. Okay. Really good. I really like Ukraine during the summers. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine being here in the winter. It's a different place in the winter. Summer is lovely. Green, lush, awesome. In the winter time, (laughs) it's dark because we're pretty far north. So the sun goes down around four o'clock comes up pretty late in the morning so it's a lot of dark a lot of cold yeah like i said you gotta find something inside you like to do and what was that uh so i'm actually a i'm a banjo player and i played banjo for quite a few years before i came to ukraine but i got really good in ukraine because i sat and played banjo for about an hour a day when the weather got better i i got into running had a lot of extra time i I think by the banjo comment people probably thinking you're in your 60s but Mm. (laughs) how old are you I'm 31. <laughs> and you, you've lived a full life. Pretty full. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you actually, you're married. Married. You actually met, and you met your wife through Peace Corps. I did. So when we flew to Ukraine, they, uh, they, they fly you out in, in groups and we were a group 40, 40th group to go to Ukraine. And so we met, uh, they get us all together in Washington, DC the day before they fly us out. To kind of give you a crash course of like, hey, you're going to go to this foreign country. Things are going to be weird. Here's what you need to know. And all four of you were going to go to Ukraine? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we are all going to go to Ukraine together. And I met her right at the beginning of, of that meeting. And where was she from? She's from North Dakota. So you guys are that close. <laughs> Actually, I think we live probably closer together for most of our lives before we were married than we did in Ukraine. She lived on the other side of, of the country. So it was about a th- about a 30-hour trip to get to her, about a 24-hour train, and then some buses on either side. That's insane. So you met literally the day before you go- you're going to move to this country. Yeah. And you decided to date long distance from across the country. Yeah, not right away. I had a girlfriend when I first went into Peace Corps. But then a little bit later, I, I didn't have a girlfriend anymore. And then I did again. I think Ward... Word of wise, everyone, is if you're going to leave for 27 months anywhere, <laughs> you should probably not be in that relationship. No, uh, the, the, the rate of success on that one's pretty low. Pretty low. I don't know if I can think of anybody that managed to date long distance the whole time. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's crazy. It's not going to work. Okay. So you're living in this little village in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, so I'm curious. Did, were there, like, I think some people dream about, like, living in this little village and then having like the beautiful farmer's daughter or the girl next door want to marry you and move back to the U.S. Mm. Did that happen at all? Not to me. Okay. 
There's a handful of, of guys that I knew that uh, came home with Ukrainian wives. There's a couple that are still here uh, with, with their wives that they met during Peace Corps. So it happened, but it didn't, it didn't happen. Are you still friends with these guys? There's a couple. There's not anybody that I keep in touch with. No, but you know we're Facebook friends, so I'd be so curious to see what their lives are like. If they're like, that was the best thing ever happened. I'm so happy now. I'm living in Ukraine, or if it was like, oh, what did I, like what did <laughs> I do with my came life? Came with a little bit of regrets. What, what was I thinking? I I don't know. That's well, a great question. I've met a lot of older guys, almost always from England for some reason. Yeah, that have married Thai Thai women, mm. and now they're living there. They have a kid, right? And they're kind of just stuck. <laughs> and they're, they don't seem very happy because right. most of the time, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think the reason why they're unhappy now is because they kind of want to go back home and have a normal life again, mm-hmm. but they don't have a career anymore. They don't make enough money to live anywhere yeah. but Thailand or a cheap yeah. place like that. And to move a family is expensive. Mm-hmm. Like just going back by yourself to England is expensive. Yeah. But to have like, you know, your Thai wife and your kid. It's pretty much impossible in this yeah, situation. That'd be tough to make the jump. So now they're kind of just stuck, and they're like, "All right, well, that was fun in my twenties, <laughs> you know, coming to Thailand, you know, you know, hooking up with the Thai girl, and you know, not, not, you know, not speaking the language, not really right. the culture, but now they're like embedded, and they're like, okay, that's it. They that's wanted a younger wife, and yeah, and now, now their younger wife is older. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and, you know, she might still be five years younger, right? But five years younger when you're, you know. 25 and she's 20 is very different than very different. when you're 45 and she's 40. Yeah. They were all the same age with the people uh, in Ukraine because we're all most, – most of the volunteers for with Peace Corps, are, they're usually right out of college or at least in, in Peace Corps they were. There's always some that have done other things. We actually had a – we had the oldest volunteer in the world with us. I think he, he was in his 80s. Wow. And so he had lived his full life. He'd retired. He must have been retired for a while. And then he, he came in and did Peace Corps. And we also, there was a couple, uh, married couples and they came after they retired. And it was kind of cool to see because we're, we're young and we don't have any, we don't have any job experience and we were kind of getting it there. These people came into their communities with a full, full life's worth of career experience and they they really took off they had all kinds of projects going they were getting grants they were funding this they were doing that it was really cool to see what they did i think that's pretty cool i think that's a nice alternative i mean one of the whole points of this podcast is not just to talk about you know the cool travels and where to go what to eat Mm -hmm. because that's fun but a lot of it's just the alternative lifestyles where people can you know, either figure out a way to work remotely, or in this case, actually, yeah, you basically are working remotely for the Peace Corps, where they're taking care of your rent, your food, mm-hmm. and you're able, you know, kind of no matter where you are in life. So if you guys are unhappy with your jobs and you're like, I'm so sick of this career, I want to do something different, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, you can take 27 months take, off. Take 27 months off. I would say that I feel like so. So since Peace Corps, I've I've moved to Seoul. I teach at an international school there, and I I like Seoul. I love I love the work that I do. But I think as far as a cultural experience, I might have Peace Corps might have kind of ruined me or set the bar pretty high because I don't I don't think you can get a better cultural experience because you learn the language of where you're going to be the first three months and they and then Peace Corps puts you in a community well, probably where you're the only American that lives in some kind of small community and so you don't have crutches to fall back the on, crutches right? of your other friends like you're you're in it you know so you're you're speaking the language you're hanging out with the people you're going to their birthday parties you're going to you're celebrating their holidays with them you're you're full time in that culture and you're pretty much a, an invited guest of the government yeah which is you know it's i think that's cool especially because they know you're helping out their local <laughs> community their local village yeah. you're you're a little you're usually kind of a little celebrity in your town everybody knows Oh yeah, there's an American in this town. He's Ryan. He looks like this. He's, you know, so kind he of fun. Looks like the only white guy here. Yeah, he, he well, looks I like. I guess the, they're all white in Ukraine. Yeah, they're all, they're all white in Ukraine, but you can tell who's the American in town. Yeah, we dress I, a little different. I have red hair. They don't have red hair. I can imagine that. Yeah. So the first three months when you're learning the language, where were you based? Uh, just outside of Kiev, a little town. Oh, this is good. It was it was a town called Stari Bezradici, um, which literally translates to old without happiness. 
Uh, it's right next to New Without Happiness. Is that a real place? That's a real place. They're right next to each other. Oh, wow. And are these happy towns or no? <laughs> I don't think it was that bad. But they're tiny. You know, there's just a couple hundred people. You're not totally alone then. I had this group. Uh, there were four of us. And we would go do language lessons every day for three or four hours. And then we would have three or four hours of, I don't know, a couple hours of homework. And we would all go home to separate host families that didn't speak English. So you really get like inundated with, with language learning because you have your lessons and then, okay, now it's time to eat. If you want to eat, you have to speak the language. I, I felt that way when I was doing a, a, like homestay in Guatemala. Yeah. Where everybody there in that family only spoke Spanish. And it was so awkward during our first lunch together because I couldn't even say like pasta tortilla, <laughs> you know, and that, afternoon during my like hour of private tutoring i said hey can we just not do grammar for today can you just tell me how to yeah how to to just say like two basic things yeah and it was my spanish improved drastically just in one week so i can imagine you know being there for months yeah it really helped you know after that was done we were ordering train tickets on our own we were we were doing all kinds of stuff it was impressive so you can speak ukrainian now i i can't speak it as well as i could five years ago but I can speak some Ukrainian. That's cool. Yeah. How would you say travel like a boss? Um, boss. Podrozvateyak. Full of some Ukrainians going to listen to this and laugh at that me. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> oh yeah, you were saying about the the host family. I remember one of the one of the kind of loneliest feelings. We we got we just got to. And this has to do with my first host family not being able to speak to them. You you get into your country in Ukraine, and I think we had one night where they they put us all up. Um, I don't know, at some little retreat center. They they kind of gave us the basics of like, okay, here's here's a crash course in Ukrainian culture in in a couple hour session, and we did like a really quick. Here's how to say hi, how are you? My name is uh, lesson in Ukrainian, and then they put us all on a bus and they sent us to our families that we were going to live with by ourselves for for three months. <laughs> I remember sitting on that bus thinking like, oh man, I'm, I'm in it now. I'm like, here we go. And they, they drop you off. There's the family. They take your bags. You get in the car. And now like, I, I have, I cannot say a single word to these people. Did you, did you, did you write it down or were you like memorizing in your head? Well, I mean, I, I had kind of had the hi, how are you? And you know, you half said it, half mumbled it, but past that, I, I didn't know anything. So what, what do you think it sounded like when the first time you said it? Ah. Uh, uh, so, so, uh, you know, like, hello is Dobry Den in Ukraine. I don't know. I probably said like I have a bunch of marbles in my mouth or <laughs> Minizvati Ryan is how to say my name is. You know, I, I think I'm in there. You're kind of nervous. So you kind of butcher it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what was the family like? I mean, who was living in that house? Uh, there was this nice family. It was two, two boys. Uh, one I think was in probably 10th or 11th grade and one was in 6th or 7th grade and their parents. And then they had this big German shepherd, Rudy. I really like Rudy. Rudy and I both can speak Russian or Ukrainian. So we, we identified with each other. That family owned uh, a little shop in their village. Real nice people. I'm excited. I'm going to go see him in a few days. The, the son that was in, in sixth or seventh grade, he spoke the most English. I think after about a month and a half of Ukrainian lessons, my Ukrainian was then better than his English. So kind of an idea of what we had to work with at first, but he did know some things. Yeah. It was probably good that he didn't speak that much English because yeah. it forced you to learn Ukrainian. Mm. Yeah. Some people's, some people's language learning experience was kind of ruined. Because they had somebody in their house that spoke English. And they would translate for them. And they would translate for them. Yeah. What made this family want to host you? Well, not you in general, but... A volunteer. A volunteer. Ah, uh, that's a good question. We had been trying to puzzle this kind of... Because there were four of us in this town, and we started to notice there were some connections with our families. And I think all four of our families were kind of friends with the principal of the school that we were uh, teaching at. So I think Peace Corps had contacted their school and she had probably talked to them. My guess is like the the family's sons were learning some English, so they thought maybe that would be cool. I think they just thought it would be a fun experience, probably for their kids to have a foreigner in the house. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And would the money go to the family or, or would Peace Corps pay for them? Peace Corps paid them a little bit for like 
for the food that they made for us, and then I think a little bit on top of that. And how was the food in the house? Oh, it was great. Like one of my favorite things about Ukraine is is the food, and so my host family's food was was awesome. Ukrainian food is 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 lovely, especially for us Midwesterners. I don't know if it's the same from California, but we really like our meat and potatoes, and that's almost exactly like what Ukrainian food is—real savory, heavy stuff. Uh, so I really like that. Sometimes there would be like some weird things. Ukraine has a few kind of like weird quirks in in their food. Like a real common breakfast would be like mashed potatoes with like what looked like a hot dog in it. <laughs> and that threw us off. Kind of a heavy breakfast. They also they're big into um, it's called salo. Have you had any salo yet? What is that? Uh, it's it's cured pig fat. I actually I think I had that on my last trip, and you eat it with bread, right? Yep. Usually you'll eat it on top of black bread. Um, sometimes you'll put a hunk of garlic on it. Usually you eat it to chase vodka. I actually had that at a Polish bar, like a oh, traditional yeah. Polish bar yeah. last year. But I guess Poland and Ukraine has share some similarities, especially where we are now in they do. Lviv because mm-hmm. they're just right next to each other. Interesting. My my village has a real strong connection with, with Poland because back in Stalin's time, he didn't want the satellite countries of the Soviet Union holding on to their own nationality. He wanted everybody to be Soviet. So he rounded up everybody that was in the village I live, Monastereska, put them on a train and sent them to Poland. At the same time, he rounded up everybody in this Polish village and sent them to Monastereska. So then he could say, aha, Monastereskians, that's how he would say it, you are no longer Ukrainian, now you're Polish because you live in Poland. And then from this other country in Poland, you are now Ukrainian. So now you're not from your country, you're from the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. So the family you stayed with, do they have heritage in Poland? Yeah. So this fast forwards now. Uh, we had, I talked a little bit about the, the family that I was with for the training that was near Kiev. And then after the three months, they, they move they move you to where you will be for two years. And so I was in a... Two years? Two years. You know what's insane is when you said 27 months, that didn't register in my head. Yeah, it's it's a long time. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, a bunch of months. <laughs> yeah, and that's when you say two years. Two years. That's a huge part of your life. Yeah. It's, you know, like that's that's two Christmases, two Easter's, two birthdays, two, two everything. In this small village yeah. in the middle of Ukraine. Yeah. It's and, insane. And I remember during training, it was real daunting. You're like, oh, man, what am I going to do for two years? But it was great. Like, honestly, that was probably two of my favorite years that I've ever had. It was wonderful. Wow. Partially because I really liked um, where I lived and I had like I had this good feeling about what I was doing. And also there was a bunch of great, uh, I have to say, because my wife was one of them, but her and there's a bunch of great other American volunteers close by. And we had this kind of tight knit group and we got together. We did a lot of besides just hanging out. We did a lot of like we put on day seminars and, and we did this and that for each other's schools. We put on like a little camp during the summer for the kids. So we did a lot of good projects. And the friendships I made there also was really cool. Was that a side project you did or was that part of the Peace Corps? Part of Peace Corps. You have you have your primary job and most of ours was to teach English. And then they say secondary job, like you have to pick your secondary task. And it's really just kind of side projects you do. Nobody made us do those, but, but we just kind of did. So what was your secondary task or job? We did a handful of things. Like I said, we put on this summer camp. Two summers we were there. We kind of started it. Um, so it was a healthy lifestyles camp in English. So the kids could go for like four or five, six days and they would get English that they could practice all the time. And then we also kind of took that as an opportunity to teach about some kind of social, wow, healthy lifestyles things that we, we were noticing in Ukraine. Like, you know, smoking is big and drinking is big. And, and sometimes that's kind of part of of being a man in Ukraine, you smoke and you drink. And so we, we kind of use the camp to kind of address some things like that, health lifestyles stuff. Other volunteers, uh, they worked with the, the GLOW program, um, which is Girls Leading Our World, which helps kind of teach girls that they're, they can be strong and independent and they don't, they don't need to, to live their life trying to serve or impress men, which is a great lesson for, for any girls, but Ukrainian girls in, in particular. I think that 
was good for them. There was a lot of AIDS prevention. Ukraine has kind of a big AIDS problem, so they were working with that. All kinds of stuff. I like it. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say you're forced to become really close with the other volunteers, but especially if there's only four of you in this village, right? you just end up naturally spending a lot of time with them. Right. right? So, yeah, that first training village, there was four of us. Then for two years, I was the only American in, in my town. But there was others close by. I think my closest, the closest person was maybe an hour away, but within three or four hours, there's probably 10 or so other volunteers. And how often would you meet up with the other volunteers? Um, I, I bet that we got together on average probably every other weekend. And, and most of the time it was because we were doing projects and, and, you know, so sometimes we would, it would be a small version of that summer camp. Like, okay, on Saturday, we're going to have a little thing for my school. We're going to teach a, lessons about this or that or whatever it's going to be an english day for the kids so we would all we would all go down there we would put on the seminar and then hang out okay and in your personal life when you started dating your now wife yeah how far away did she live from your village and was she also in a village too she was in a village um maybe smaller she was in crimea which is now kind of been taken over by russia so we lived about 30 30 hours apart 24-hour train and then some buses on either end. There's a funny story that I tell. One one week, uh, school got called off for the whole week because the temperature was so cold. And I thought, like, well, I'm not going to sit around in my village. I'll, I'll go see her. And I, I got at the end of my train ride, and they said that buses weren't running to her village. So I, I took a bus to the closest village, and I thought I'd wing it. And I got out of the bus, and there, there, there was nothing. And I stood around trying to hitchhike, and I couldn't feel my feet, and it was bad. And I finally, I finally got somebody to pick me up. And they saw this American that had like, I, w- I was kind of at their, at their whim. So and I think I ended up paying kind of a pretty price to get somebody to drive me, but they did it, and I kept all my toes, and I made it. That's good. Yeah, yeah I'm sure whatever you paid was uh, cheaper than frostbite. Yeah, cheaper than frostbite. Right? I didn't pay a toll. I actually had to do something not as bad because it was during the summer, mm-hmm. but we had to find a way from Moldova to Ukraine ah. last summer. And for whatever reason, there were we just couldn't find trains or even really buses. Mm-hmm. And if they, it, I think they did exist. It just wasn't direct, or it wasn't like it, it just wasn't a good route, right? And I guess not that many people from for whatever reason just travel between those two countries. Mm-hmm. So we had to just find a random driver. And yeah. he, and it was so hard to even just talk to them. <laughs> and I think he actually didn't even show up. He sent a friend of his instead in a different car. Yeah. And he, uh, he drove us there and it took like, I don't know, six hours or whatever. Didn't speak, you know, much English at all. And it was just like, I think it was just an interesting drive. <laughs> I always think it's fun traveling around here because, you know, any any guy in his car can be a taxi. I don't think there's that many official taxis. It's just, you know, even from the airport last night, it was it was a guy really? in a car. Yeah, it kind of took him. I think I would have been scared if I hadn't lived here for a while and known because it's just kind of, you know, you get kind of like an old, some old guy and he's just sitting there smoking cigarettes and he's kind of grunting at you or, you know, he doesn't doesn't he's got that kind of stone face uh but i you know i think if i had been my first trip to ukraine i would have been scared but i thought oh i'm home these, <laughs> these are my people <laughs> i'm curious how much did you pay to, for the taxi paid him i paid him 200 hryvnia which I think is you got ri- i think you got ripped off and and i and i i remember walking out of the airport and thinking okay what do i think i should pay a taxi because the prices have changed since i've been here because the hryvnia it was one uh, one dollar was eight uh, when I used to be here. Now it's one to twenty six. So it's really gone down. And I thought, well, it's ten o'clock when I'm in uh, PM. I don't want to sit there and like haggle with him because two hundred grieved is like eight bucks, and it's my ride to the airport. So I told myself, okay, if the guy says two hundred, I'll take two hundred. Probably if he says two hundred, it's probably more than he's gonna charge a ukrainian that walks out of the airport but i'll you know whatever i'll do it were there not official taxis around when you landed no were there when you landed yeah it was a ton but it was during the day so maybe that's that was different yeah could could have been different so i paid two yervna ah yeah for the bus for the bus and if anyone wants to quickly look up that exchange rate press pause and look it up and your mind will be blown i actually sent 
a WhatsApp message to my buddy Chris, who mm. I'm meeting out here in about a month. Mm-hmm. And I said, I just paid two UAH for my bus from the, <laughs> from, from the airport to the city center. You know, Google the conversion. And at first he was like, no, just tell me what it is. And I just ignored his no, message. No. Check that it out. Check it out. He'd be curious. And when you Google it, it is zero point zero seven seven cents. It's it's almost it's like nothing. Uh, and another thing you should Google is the great trolleys they have around Lviv. That's kind of one of their I don't know. That's like one of their icons of Lviv is the trolleys that go around. They're they're cool. almost kind of like a San Francisco trolley that people spend <laughs> you know four dollars to ride the cable car. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is seven point seven cents. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Was it as smooth as the San Francisco cable cars? It was actually probably better. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, it was, the only funny thing about it is when you get on, first, for whatever reason, the bus driver won't take your money. To, he's like, just get on. So you get – and then come up to the front as I'm driving. Mm. You're like, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. So maybe they're trying to save some time. But he, while he's driving, you're handing him money. He has to like make change, give you the ticket, and – I'm like, this is not efficient at all. Like, he, like, he first, he, first off, he looks like he's going to get into an accident because he's yeah. like swerving. We're going to do this. There are like 30 people trying to go to the front with their luggage, just trying to squeeze their way to the front. And then I'm like, this would have been so much faster if you just had people board one on one, you know, one by one. He would have spent two minutes at the airport, but then he wouldn't have to deal with giving change while trying to drive. My favorite thing. In, instead of people fighting towards the front of the bus, I remember a bunch of times where people would just, from the back of the bus, they would pass their money up, and then everybody had to pass it to the next person. The bus driver would make change, and then everybody would pass the money back to the guy at the end of the bus. I like that. Yeah. That, that actually makes, cool. makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It was funny because just you're passing your money up, but always worked out. Well, as a, a travel tip for Lviv, for anyone who's coming, yeah, they have Uber now. They have Uber. Yeah. Wow. Which is really cool because this is not a big – well, I guess it's a medium-sized city. Yeah. But people don't really think of Ukraine as a first-world country or a place that would have Uber. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have Uber in, in Germany because of all the freaking regulations. They don't even have Uber in a lot of the U.S., like in Austin. Oh, really? I, I don't know if in South Dakota they have it. There's nobody in South Dakota that doesn't <laughs> have a car, so it's fine. But – I mean, that actually makes more sense in places like South Dakota is that means every single person in South Dakota can now have a second job. Driving around. Driving around. Right. And the people that go there to visit family or for, you know, to on vacation for whatever reason, they have a way to get around. Mm. Because I'm sure your public transport system is not very good. We don't have one. Yeah, see? So it's almost like a necessity. Yeah. And I checked the price. The official Uber rate from the airport to the city center is 68. 68. Oh, man. Well, that, that guy did well. Yeah. So you paid about he three times well. what, what, uh, it should have been. But you know, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about if you were going to talk about like alternative lifestyles or good travel tips, I think we should talk about the perks of seeing Lviv. Okay. For one, like we touched on, like Lviv right now is so cheap. I think you've noticed this too. We, we both, Ate earlier today separately. You had breakfast. I had lunch at like the top rated restaurant in town, and I had. Well, first let, let's let's describe the ambience of this place. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's right in the city center. Yeah. So imagine like you know Times Square, New York, or something, right. or like you know yeah. one of the big centers in, in San Francisco. You walk in, and it's a beautiful white tablecloth restaurant. Mm-hmm. We sat. I sat in the garden. I'm assuming in the back. As, as you as well? No, they, they put me on, like, in, in, in one of the rooms. Okay. Which which was also, like, lavishly decorated, like, fancy tablecloths. All the waiters are in, I think, vests and ties. They're they're very, like, formal waiters, you know, like, they kind of do the fine dining thing. Definitely fine, fine dining style. We had a live penis. Oh, nice. Person playing piano for you guys. <laughs> and I was sitting in the garden that was... It was it was glass all over, so it was like temperature specific. They had like you know exotic birds chirping, singing along to the piano. The live birds, live birds. No way. Yeah, I want to see this garden tomorrow morning. Oh, we'll we'll go for brunch tomorrow morning. Okay. All right. The well, how was your food? Oh, so my food was excellent. I got um sausages with onions, but it, it came. They like it comes. Uh, they give you this cutting board. 
It's got a strip of like this Ukrainian embroidery traditional cloth, and then there's uh two plates on it. And so I got a sausage with with these onions, and the sausage was excellent. And I ordered it was a ganoush, but I think what it really was was a uh, it was a form of gulopsi, which is a pretty traditional Ukrainian food. It's steamed cabbage wrap. And then on the inside, it's usually some kind of meat. This one had a lot of mushrooms, and they had a really good mushroom sauce on the top. And it was it was great. They're big on mushrooms here. They're big on mushrooms here, and they they do. And they're well. good mushrooms. They're really good. They're, they're not like the. I actually don't like mushrooms in the U.S. that much because no, they don't have that much flavor. Yeah, yeah. Like the, when, you, when you get mushrooms in the U.S., it's kind of like what you get on a pizza. You yeah, know? they're kind of just there. You yeah, know? and they if they get soggy, they're kind of just soggy things but here you're right they taste like they're picked from the forest they probably were the thing like ukrainians don't like stuff that was made and they 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 like the fresh stuff and most of them that's what they eat and so they they can tell so your your restaurants are going to have the good ingredients i I think it was you that mentioned that 70 percent of ukrainians have access to homegrown food in their gardens yeah, somebody else had said that statistic, but I think that's true. If you go around the villages, every everybody that's not in big cities like Lviv, they all have a garden. But even here, just a few blocks away, yeah, we saw on the Lviv free walking tour. It was by uh, Lviv Buddy. If you guys mm-hmm. want to check them out, they showed us this little market where there were the come what babas, the, the grandmas that come, and it's, it's basically a farmers market. Yeah, but it was nice because it didn't seem like. We have farmers markets now in LA that it almost kind of seems like a trendy, cool thing to do. Right. And I'm like, these guys aren't even farmers. <laughs> <laughs> no. These are hipsters <laughs> selling vegetables. And it's probably expensive. It's really oh, expensive. Here's my organic whatever. The stuff at this Baba's market was also probably organic picked picked recently, but I think they were given prices today and it's pennies. Yeah. yeah. So the restaurant. Oh, so- the restaurant. What was the name, by the way? We keep saying the restaurant. I can't pronounce it anyway, so it actually doesn't matter. Okay. But it's it's whatever TripAdvisor has as the number one restaurant. Well, so what I'm going to do is if you guys go to johnnyfd.com slash Ukraine, I added it to my Ukraine guide that I had written about Odessa and Kiev last year, but I'll add Lviv to it as well. Perfect. So, yeah, we were saying great food. Your breakfast, what did you have? So mine was a breakfast buffet yeah. that that – Everything's included, even vodka, <laughs> which is so weird because I'm like, why would they – who's drinking vodka at people, 8 in the morning? Did you drink vodka? I didn't drink any vodka. Were people drinking vodka? I don't I don't think anyone near me was, Yeah, but they had vodka, champagne, and beer included in this meal, you know, along with like teas and different juices and coffee. But what I got was – first I went to the, the egg bar where there's a – you know, a, sure. a guy making whatever kind of eggs you want, you know, yeah. omelets or I just had some sunny side up. Then th- there was a crepe bar sure. where they had both sweet and savory crepes. Mm-hmm. And I had one of the best ones I've ever had in my life. It was, I think it was just, it was chicken and mushroom in these crepes. It was so good that I went back. Mm-hmm. Then they have a whole salad bar with like cold salads, deviled eggs. And they had a big pastry bar. It, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a gigantic buffet, but it was all very high quality food. And it kind of reminded me of a breakfast at like a really expensive hotel. Yeah. So if you were to pay like $30 for, for breakfast at like the Four Seasons or something of that caliber, it, it felt exactly this, exactly the same. Yeah. With the, with the wait staff being super professional. Mm-hmm. My, my coffee came on a silver platter. Okay. Or silver looking platter. So this is actually one of the more expensive places in I would imagine. Lviv. I would say it's probably I don't want to say the you know I, I don't know if it's the most expensive but it's rated you know almost number 1 on TripAdvisor if not number 1. And it's fancy looking. And it's very and fancy. It's fancy. It's it's like it's high quality food. Yeah, so it's this is this most expensive like imagine the most expensive brunch you would have in your home city or in San Francisco or New York. That would normally cost maybe thirty to fifty dollars, and probably wouldn't include alcohol. We're really building this up. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it wasn't cheap compared. You know, it wasn't like pennies, but it was only four dollars and sixty cents. Is that what it was? For? Yeah, four dollars sixty two cents. Now I had the lunch, and mine was eight seventy. 
but it would have only been just over five. But coffee, but my my cup of coffee was a little over a dollar, and so was a bottle of water. But the the dish was was a little over five. Well, I've noticed that most dishes at like normal restaurants, yeah, everything's separate. So that's it's kind of a weird thing for a lot of Americans, where we kind of you know when you order, let's say like a steak, yeah, you think it's gonna come with all the sides, but here everything's separate. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is. Pretty much every single side is one dollar. Yep. So whether you want a salad or a soup or like a baked potato or whatever it is, everything's a dollar. Water's a dollar. Beer is probably a dollar. Yep. So it's basically kind of just like the the whole country is a dollar menu. Yeah. It's like the dollar menu. Yeah. Across the street from that place, they have this new beer beer theater that wasn't here when I was here, but it's 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 one of the only craft breweries I've seen in in Ukraine, and it's a great. Brewery. They have a guy that was brewing microbreweries in the states, and then they brought a great chef in. It's three floors. They have a band that plays from like seven to nine o'clock, like a brass band. The second and third floor are open, so you can hear the band from every level. It's like this hip-looking place. I ate there last night. I drank four of their craft beers. I got a little carried away, and I had beagles, which was like this delightful. Sausage with sauerkraut with potatoes on bread with this great sausage. It was amazing. And my, my bill was $8.70. So per beer, how much was, was that? It was just over a dollar. That would, and this I was is for nice math, craft that beer. That would have been $50 at that same yeah. place in the United States. Easy. So I think one of the reasons why things are so cheap here, I think it's, it's a combination of a couple of things, right? One is the salaries are low. I think the average salary in Ukraine is $200 a month. Yeah, some somewhere around there. And even doctors are making a couple hundred bucks a month, less mm-hmm. than, way less than a thousand. Mm-hmm. And the second, their currency for the longest time was a, for one U.S. dollar, you would get seven or eight. Yeah. How do you call it? Rivna. Rivna. Yeah. And that was the case when you were living here for, for a couple of years, right? Yeah, it was like it was just below eight. Okay. Now and for the last year or two, because they're Economic system is not very stable. There's the the problems with with Russia and it's kind of just all these other reasons factors. Your money is now worth one to twenty six. Twenty six, mostly because of problems with Russia. Yeah, and that means for us that for every dollar that we change, we basically get three dollars for free. So our money is essentially mm-hmm. worth you know three times as much as it it should be or it used to be. Yeah. It goes a long ways. And things are cheap. So and things are just yeah. cheap. So you get that double whammy where there's places that have you know good exchange rates, but it doesn't matter if you're getting $1 for X amount of Vietnamese dong if things are still expensive. Right. But it's that double whammy where things are cheap and you're getting a great exchange rate. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can have a heyday. You can go to the – you can do anything you want. It's just you're not – It's gonna, you're going to have a hard time getting rid of money. Well, it's, the funny thing is – the first ATM I went to, the, the airport, the maximum withdrawal limit was a thousand. <laughs> yeah, I that too. And I was like, "Well, I need cash." So let me. And I, at first, I was like, "Is this even enough for me to get into the city?" Because fifty bucks. You know, no, yeah. it's forty bucks, right? I have forty, yeah. And to put this in perspective, in New York, to get from JFK to anywhere, it's a flat rate of fifty-five dollars. Yeah. And it's in LA to get from. LAX to you know where people actually live. So I was visiting my cousin, and Uber was seventy dollars. So in these cities, I would have been screwed. I wouldn't even have had enough money to get no. from the airport to the to the hostel, or the hotel. But here, I took out forty bucks, and I had thirty nine dollars and ninety three cents left. <laughs> <laughs> and on on top of that, like it's it's cheap, but I think. Lviv is this interesting place too. It's the most European looking city, I think, in Ukraine because it's so far west. It used to be Polish. We just, we met on this culture tour today. And so it used to be part Polish. It's been, it's been kind of run by different countries at different times. And now it kind of sits at the heart of like Ukrainian culture, especially the people in Western Ukraine really champion it as like that's, that's their Ukrainian city. But, it's one of my favorite cities to wander around. Part of it's nostalgia because it's the old Peace Corps days. But part of it, I had said earlier today, it, it feels like walking down all these windy streets that there's something hidden like in every corner. And there and, is. And the best part is that there 
there is. Well, what's crazy is when I was walking around yesterday trying to find a restaurant. So I was I was hungry. I arrived. I was like, let me just get some food. Mm. And I walked by some places, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Let me just kind of randomly eat somewhere. It's not a big deal. And the ones that you see that you walk into are probably just going to be okay. Like, the food was okay. Everything, yeah. everything was tasty. But the real special restaurants are the ones that don't have English signs, like the one that we went to for breakfast that I can't pronounce. Yep. And then there's all these secret theme restaurants. Right. Which we are going to go to one tonight. Yes. And on that one I've never been to before. So... The way I found it was very random. Yeah. I was Googling. I used Google Maps to see where I was staying and I dropped a pin, you know, just so I can, I can know where I am. Mm -hmm. And I realized that somebody had dropped a pin nearby, which would look like a pin, but it turns out it was actually the name of the restaurant. Ah. (laughs) But somebody had dropped a pin and labeled it the most expensive Galatian restaurant. And Galatian, I think, just means what? Old, old Lviv or old, old region area? I I don't know. I th- I think from what I know, this region used to be used to be Galician or something like that. And I was like, the, I was like, what kind of label or pin is this? So I, I decided to click in. I read some reviews about the place, and turns out it's a whole experience. Yeah. So how did you find out about it? What did you hear about it? So to make this story kind of a little longer, I I remember walking around this city when I was in uh, when I was a volunteer and I got two hundred bucks a month and and most of it went to pay this uh, lady that I that I lived with for rent and food and so you know I could eat at the cheap places but I was always thinking man it would be awesome to just come here and do like a food tour when I when I had a real job and I could just do whatever I want to and so I kind of decided that's what I'm going to do this weekend and so I was I was in the Kiev airport. Kind of doing research on, I kind of cross-referenced Lonely Planet and um, TripAdvisor. And this one came up and it seemed quirky and it seemed something very Lviv. Because there's a handful of other restaurants that are kind of similar. So there's one in the old Jewish quarter yeah, where yeah, you have to negotiate the price of your bill. Have you been there? No. Mm. It sounds like a nightmare to me. It, I, I think for other people, it's fun because that just never happens. You never go to a restaurant and be like, <laughs> no, I want a discount on my bill. It's too expensive. It's normally, it's, let's say it's a hundred bucks. Then you're like, no, I want, you know, I only want to pay 50. <laughs> I, it was fun as a Peace Corps volunteer because we really didn't want to spend much money because <laughs> we didn't have it. So I, I remember some of the, the volunteers like really getting into it with the waiter because it was like, you know, I think usually it's kind of this friendly, it's kind of funny, but it, it was not funny for a couple moments. But they'll, they'll do something good. They'll say like, okay, well, how about this price? And then we'll give you a gift. And they gave us like a couple shots and they told us it was brewed with, you know, the kind of curly locks that the Orthodox Jews have. I, I think there's probably a little bit of stereotyping that goes into the Jewish restaurant. It's not run by Jewish people. So there's that, but it's quite an experience. That's funny. <laughs> but actually, I think in some cultures, people just like getting a good yeah. deal. You know, I think in some cultures, it's like if you don't, if you don't haggle and negotiate, yeah. then you feel like you got ripped off, even though the, the let's say printed price or advertised price is a good, great price. People still feel like they get ripped off if they don't get like an additional discount. Right. And this actually happened to me when I was working as a dive master in Thailand and I would get Chinese customers from mainland China and they would always say to me, like, can you, well, actually, what was funny is I didn't know the word for, can you give me a discount? Mm. Because I had literally never asked in that way for a discount for anything. Right. I think I've, you know, like I, I knew how to say like, you know, oh, that seems a bit expensive. Yeah. Can you do this price? But there was actually a word called in Chinese, it's dazi, which means like hit. I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know. What, but it basically means like percentage off or something. Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, can you dazi? And I'm like, I'm like, what is that? And they would be like, oh, you, uh, you know, like. You know, can, can you, can you yeah, hook yeah, me yeah. up a bit? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and they would like, get so confused because they're like, oh, I guess this guy really just doesn't get discounts. <laughs> huh. Discount. That usually works here. Yeah. Discount. Tell them discount. They know what that means. Discount. Yeah. But I was like, no, this is a scuba diving center. Like, it's, this is a fixed price. <laughs> yeah, <we don't> need- <laughs> like, it's like going to a museum and be like, ah, oh, $8 is too much. You know, can you, can you bring it down? But I, I feel like, in some cultures, people are happier if you mark up the price a bit and then give them yeah, that, some that money like off the again. Of the bargain. Yeah. I hate it. I, I'm, like, just, I can't I'm just stand a terrible it. bargain. I'm great at it. I'm actually fan, mm. like I'm fantastic at bargaining. I just feel like 
if I'm going to spend that much energy yeah. trying to save, you know, what 10% or yeah. something off of something, I almost might as well use that same energy to like sell something or make some money at work. Yeah, I sometimes think like, so my cab ride, I thought like, well, is it worth $4 to sit there and haggle with this guy who's going to drive me across the town for $8 when I have the $4? Or should I just do it? But I, Well, here's the thing is even more than I hate haggling is I hate getting ripped, ripped off. off. Like I despise it. Even if like it's not even about the money. Right. Even if I have the money, yeah, I just hate getting ripped off. I agree. So it's funny that one person's like entertainment, I guess, would be someone else's nightmare. Yeah. Not judging anyone because, you know, just kind of like I was, I was said earlier in the episode is everyone has a different cup of tea. Yep. Different cup of tea. Yeah. So the restaurant we're going we're to go to for dinner might not be everyone's cup of tea because when you walk in, it's not a ni- nice restaurant. It is some guy's living room, I heard. And he's like old and kind of grouchy and he tries to not let you in is what I've heard. And you have to argue your way in. Yeah. And I've heard once you get in, he says, well... Maybe I can give you a potato. <laughs> like, and he's in his, he's like in his sleepwear, and you're like, um, you're, I mean, like you're in this crappy old apartment, and this guy is offering you a potato for dinner, and you're like, okay. And if you accept it, he then says, oh, okay, well, let's go sit in the other room because this living room is a bit small. And he opens the door, and it's this fine dining restaurant where where everything is marked up ninety percent. Well, that would mean it's marked up like a thousand percent. They basically add oh, yeah, to zero. Yeah, yeah. They, they give you a ninety percent discount at the end on everything you see on the menu. So imagine going to a restaurant in New York at a, well, New York's kind of hard to say because it things are be that are that expensive. Anyways, okay, let's say you go to TGI Fridays yeah, yeah. in Fargo and you see that a burger is a hundred and forty dollars, or actually a thousand four hundred dollars, and you're like, what is this? Right, right. But then at the end, when you get the bill, they like cross off two zeros. Yeah. Should be good. Yeah. I'm excited for so, that. I, so like, to me, that's fun. Yeah. And that's kind of fixed at the start. You know that it's you, so you can do the math. At the, yeah. at the Jewish restaurant, you had no clue. And, and it really could go either way. I've heard people that have gotten good deals and I've heard people that actually kind of ended up spending <laughs> more than they wanted to. Yeah. Which is, I guess that's a different adventure. Other yeah. adventures in town. Oh, there's the, there's the nationalist bar. Where you have to know the password to get in, and it's it's kind of made in the theme of the Ukrainian Nationalist Army, who is led by Stepan Bandura. My history's I think is mostly right that during uh, World War II, West Ukraine was the battleground between Germany and the Soviet Union. Yeah, Soviet Union, which which isn't good. They had a hard time with that. But this this guy heroes the Ukrainian National Army, and there they decided they were going to fight both the Germans and the Russians. And they were going to have Ukraine be their own. Nobody was going to take it. They were going to take it. He didn't win. But he did get his statue put up in, I think, about every town in western Ukraine. And so this bar is kind of themed after the Ukrainian Nationalist Army. And it's like a little bunker. They have, like, these kind of the guns from the air, the uniforms. You can put them on get your picture taken. But the guy at the door will ask. You, you knock on the door, and he opens kind of like, you know, this little window so he can peek out. You have to say uh, Slava Ukraina, and they say Heroim Slava, which is you're saying glory to Ukraine, and he says glory to the heroes. When I was here earlier, they would sometimes ask you Vimaskvili, um, which is their derogatory term for a Russian. You had to tell them. Are you Russian? Yeah, like, but you know, like their nasty word for Russian. You had to say, uh, no, I am not. And <laughs> what, what if you actually were Russian? <laughs> That's a great question. Like, I, I think there's a good chance that they wouldn't let you in. But wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but because that's most like the Ukrainian national sentiment is definitely directed towards not being part of part yeah. of Russia. Well, what was crazy is when I was in Odessa and Kiev, yeah. a lot of people spoke Russian yeah. because, and I didn't understand what it, what it was. And it turns out that during the 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 Soviet occupation, just like how they moved people from from Poland, Poland to yeah. Lviv. What they did was they moved Russian people mm-hmm. into Ukraine and then, you know, moved people, you know, just here and there. Yep. So it wasn't their fault. They're like, no. they're just like, you know, civilians or villagers and they grew up in Ukraine, yep. but with the Russian culture and language. And they might have been here for two generations. Yeah. 
so in their mind, they're like, that's what oh, no, I know. This is, this is who I am. Yeah. I am, I am from Ukraine and we speak Russian and this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, the USSR has been dismantled and it's Ukraine again, it's really hard for people who grew up speaking Russian with that Russian culture. Right. To be like, okay, now we get rid of the Russian language. Let's all speak Ukrainian. I think they're both official languages. I might be wrong, but I think they both are. Because in the Far East, it's they speak all Russian. In the middle, they call it Surjik, and it's a mix of the two. In the West, especially like in this area, they kind of pride themselves on the they call it Chisti Ukrainian, the clean Ukrainian ah. language that they speak here. But in Soviet times, it was all Ukraine. Uh, they they spoke Russian at work, had to. And so people in this part of the country, they might speak Ukrainian at home, but they had to, and school was in Russian. And so that's that's just the language everybody had to know it, even over here. They so I, I understand from a Ukrainian's point of view why they would want to speak Ukrainian, even if they can, you know, just kind of take back the culture of the country. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the people that grew up with the Russian culture, mm-hmm. you know, not wanting to, you know, to change and, you know, basically take on a different cultural identity that they're used to. But I, I'm just glad I'm not in the middle of it because I, I think it's I think it's a difficult situation. Yeah, I think so. And I I guess I haven't been here for five years. So I, I guess I don't know. But, I, you know, there's there's definitely some tension. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because as soon as I posted on Facebook that I was coming to Ukraine, you know, friends are freaking out. Even though my friends travel a lot. Right. They, they know I've been to so many countries. Like when, when, they, when they hear Ukraine, they're like, oh, my God. Right. You know, isn't that in the middle of a war? Right. Isn't it crazy? And at least in Lviv, where we are now, it is just as safe and peaceful as pretty much anywhere in the U.S. Yeah, it's fine. The the trouble's all on the other side. I don't know. But even Kiev, when I was there last year, yeah. when I was in Odessa, it was perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, I, unfortunately, I think the only, you know, if you're right on the border of Russia or you're in Crimea, then it's probably not fine. But I think... This is a great place to come visit. Totally safe. It's safe. People are super friendly. It's cheap. It's beautiful. The food's good. It's not super. E- it's not as easy to order food or get around or read signs like it would be in Western Europe, right. where at least they have a a you know Latin based r- r- was it Roman font? Yeah, the uh, writing Latin, style. Latin letters. Yeah, Latin alphabet. Yeah, but this really is kind of a I don't want to say untouched, but like less discovered part of the world. Yeah. And I think that part of it makes it kind of fun too. It's not, it's not London that, that everybody's seen or, or other places in Western Europe. There's not lines to do everything. It's not crowded like Western Europe. You kind of feel like you're, you're in it. Cause most of the people we see on the street are Ukrainians. Yeah. Even the tourists. Yeah. Most of the tourists are Ukrainian tourists. Yeah. There's, there's a handful of, of non Ukrainian tourists, but there's, there's not a ton. But when you say handful, like you literally mean like, Five. <laughs> you can count them on your hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But with a little help getting around the train, the train service around Ukraine has now gotten easier. They have a website in English so you can navigate that. It's it's definitely doable. You have to be a little adventurous, but you can do it. Yeah, it's definitely doable. It's definitely one of the most difficult places I've I've traveled to. Yeah. Even way more difficult than like Thailand where I can't yeah. really Th- Thailand's but, set up for for, for tours. Tour, yeah. yeah, they have that's a that's a well oiled machine. They have yeah, there. but I would say anywhere in Southeast it, actually, yeah, yeah, anywhere yeah, in Asia yeah, yeah. is yeah. far they'll easier. They put a than sticker here. on you and you just raise, raise your hand and they'll, yeah. they'll you're set. Yeah, and here I think the hardest part is because you can't just type in like I, like let's say I want to look up a restaurant yeah. or go somewhere, I can't just type in the name because it's not the Roman alphabet. Yeah. It's in Cyrillic, uh-huh. which looks like something from Space Invaders. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but. I think it's worth coming to. I agree. Yeah. I think, like, I still, I still think Lviv is one of my favorite cities. I've seen a lot of cities. I love coming to. I think if you guys want an easier to travel to version of Lviv, go to Krakow, Poland. Yes. They look actually kind of similar. It has kind of a (laughs) similar feel to it. Things are also cheap there. People are also nice. So go there first if you are kind of unsure how adventurous you are. And then, if you like that place, then you could take a train over to quick overnight Lviv. train to Lviv. Yeah, that's all you have to do. It's travel tip of the day. So, thanks so much for coming on the yeah, show. Thanks for having me. This was that fun. Was fun, right? Yeah, that's fun. Are you on social media at all? Like Instagram, Twitter? Do you blog anything? No. Peacecore.com slash Ryan Murphy. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't really have anything to promote. I got. I got yeah, to... that's cool. You know what? If you guys want to find Ryan, you have to just travel and find You'll him somewhere find in the world. Him. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. And big thank you to everyone who's left these amazing five-star reviews of the podcasts. This week, I want to thank Alvin4j from Australia. He says, inspiring five stars. Thank you, Johnny, for being so transparent in both your blog and this podcast. You're a great ambassador for digital nomads and an inspiration to many of us who wishes to get in the same path you have helped pave. Thanks, Alvin. And big thank you to our sponsor, Tripstreak. The next time you guys need to book a flight out to here to Ukraine or to anywhere else that we've talked about, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. See all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.